Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. The prophets in their lifetime went through great difficulties in their worldly existences. Muhammad had to leave Mecca because there was a plot to kill him. And on the way out, he had to hide. <clears throat> uh, the story of the uh, spiders in the cave. He finally got to Medina. And you would think that the people from Mecca would leave him alone because he left. But no, they continued their efforts to do away with him, and he had to defend himself. His life was in jeopardy. The very existence that was bringing this great message to the world was in jeopardy. When Moses went to the mountain, the people at the foot of the mountain began to reject him. Out of sight, out of mind, they built an idol um, in direct rejection of what he was teaching. Abraham was thrown in to a pit of fire and had to endure the torment of that. What held these prophets together in these times of incredible difficulty, of incredible abuse that the world was giving them. They had a very powerful faith. They had a very powerful belief system. They had an understanding that transcended their worldly circumstances. Now, each of us, in our own way, is presented with great difficulty. Each of us gets tortured in this world, one way or another. Each of us goes through times when we believe everything is stacked against us, whether it be by way of financial trauma, physical trauma, relative trauma. Trauma is constantly thrown into our existence. Now, there are different ways to react to this trauma. 
if we look around the world today, there is politically injected trauma. There is religion injected trauma. Uh, the world is in a traumatic state. And each of us individually are in periods of great trauma, difficulty in our life, of times when whatever it seems we're trying to do doesn't seem to be able to be accomplished. Any step we take forward, it seems the ground, like a sinkhole, falls out in front of us and we can't move. Sometimes we're stuck. Sometimes we can't get things going. And we wonder, why? What? What is the purpose of all this difficulty? What is the purpose of this deprivation? I've traveled around the world to a lot of places. And I've seen a lot of things. I want to relate one to I was in uh, Ankara, and we were at a tomb of a saint whose name was Haji Bairam. And attached to the tomb is what they call a jami, we say a mosque. And if you know, or if you know someone who knows, which was my case, at the side of the mosque, there are stairs that lead down underneath the mosque into a cavern underneath the mosque, made of stone. Haji Bairam purposefully would spend 40 days at a time in this cavern, cut off from food and drink and people for the purpose of self-purification. It became a ritual among many Sufi tariqats, uh, Sufi groups, that on the path towards self-purification, you had to spend 40 days isolated on very meager subsistence uh, in order to get in touch with reality, to somehow pull you out of the illusory nature of existence and its constant attack on your senses. So what did they do? They deprived their senses of everything for an extended period of time. And the place I told you about in Ankara isn't the only place I saw this. Um, there is uh, lots of tour bays, uh, tombs, that have sections where uh, there's an underground passageway to enter into one of these caverns for this isolation period. In a city called Kastamano, in uh, the northern part of Turkey, near the Black Sea. There's a mosque that was uh, started by the 
leader of the Helveti order. And the downstairs is a mosque, and there is a balcony over the mosque. And off the balcony, there was about 16 or 20 doors. And each of the doors opened up into a small room that was approximately three feet wide and six feet deep. The depth of the room was six feet and the width was about three feet and then the height was the normal height. They were like graves. They were the size of graves. The dervishes would do their prayers below. They would do their sema. Uh, they would do uh, their communal things, and then they would retire to these little rooms, again, to be isolated from the attack of the world, to be isolated from the senses, to enter into a state of sensory deprivation. And why did they need sensory deprivation? They needed to understand, they needed to learn what it was like when you're left alone. What it's like when the magnetism and the hypnotisms and the pulls of all of the illusory artifacts in the world stop pulling on you. We've all seen what magnets do. You hold a magnet to a piece of steel and it goes like this. It jumps towards the magnet. Well, believe it or not, we're the same way. We walk down the street and we see a pair of shoes that we like. All of a sudden we jump towards the shoes. They magnetize us. We see a dress that we like. We jump towards the dress. We see a tie that we like. We jump towards the tie. For those of us into technology, we see a camera we like and we jump towards the camera. We see whatever it is that attracts us and then there's this magnetism that somehow pulls us towards it. And we become attracted and we react. The mind mechanism together with the desire mechanism pulls and pushes us everywhere we can go. And then we have this entire list of things that we've learned as children that have been instilled in us by society and taught to us by our parents. This is good, this is bad, this makes you happy, this makes you sad. This is good, this is bad, this makes you happy, this makes you sad. And a lot of people live their entire lives in the middle of that little circle. This is good, this is bad, this makes you happy, this makes you sad. Now, how do you jump out of that circle that was created for you by somebody else who may not even understand what's good, what's bad, and what's sad, and what's not? Who has an entirely inappropriate idea of all of these things? Well, you go sit in a hole for 40 days and see what happens. And that's why these men did. They went and they sat in a hole for 40 days to see what would happen. 
to be able to encounter reality without the interference of the world, without the interference of the constant harassment of our circumstances. Yet, they didn't stay in the hole. They came out of it. But they came out of it different than when they went in it. And what was the difference? They had glimpsed a time when they were with themselves without the illusory interference of the world, without the constant barragement of worldly influence upon them. And then when they came out, they were able to withstand it in a way that they didn't understand before, because they knew that they could exist without it. They knew that all of the importance they had given to all these things didn't matter. All of the importance that they had given to fulfilling their desires didn't matter. They went on. Somehow they continued to exist and somehow they were able to touch parts of themselves that they had never been able to touch while living in the world. They touched part of themselves that were entirely new to them. And with this new understanding, with this new knowledge, with this new way of reacting to the mind-desire dilemma, they now saw the world quite differently than they saw it before. All of a sudden, the miracles of the world were not a new car. The miracles of the world were the fact that a breath is provided every time that you need one. That water is provided when you have thirst. All of a sudden, the basic, most intrinsic things of being alive become at the forefront of understanding. We don't know much about Baal Muhayyadeen's <clears throat> early history, but we do know that he came out of the woods after spending extensive time in isolation. Now, can we be within this world and yet isolated from it simultaneously? Can we live within the parameters of the existence that's been provided for us, yet not be influenced by those parameters? Can we escape our culture? Can we escape our religion? Can we escape the influence of our parents? Can we escape the influence of our friends? Can we escape the influence of the media? Can we escape? 
Or are we going to be shedding tears about every problem that we have? And are those problematic circumstances going to become the center of our existence? The Bible gives us Job as an example. I, um, in one second, at the beginning of the, uh, of the book of Job, he's the richest man in the area. He has wealth. He has children. He has land. He has everything. And by the second paragraph, a messenger comes from the east, the west, the north, and south, in each one bringing news of the destruction of everything. So from one second to the next, he goes from on top of the world to underneath it. Now, not all of us are prophets. Not all of us have the strength of Job. Not all of us are capable of the faith that the prophets had in all their difficulties, or that Ayub had in all his difficulties, when they did not lose faith, and they understood that the nature of the worldly circumstances are that eventually they dissipate, and they disappear, and they end, because the world ends for all of us. People wait for the time of destruction. And a great saint once said, the time of destruction comes with my death. Now, we should sort of understand that. The time of destruction is near for all of us. It's not off in some distant time when everybody goes. It's here when we go. That's it. It's over. And that end is inevitable. As Bawa told us, we have a mark around our neck, like a hanging's noose, that is going to one day close, and that time will be finished. So if we understand that there is an end of time, and we understand that no matter how many of our desires we're capable of fulfilling in this world, no matter how many grievous things we go through, they're not going to resolve our situation. They're not going to resolve what it is to be man. What's going to resolve it is our faith in the eternal. What's going to resolve it is an entire change of connection from the temporary to the eternal, from an entire change of connection to what's worldly to what's godly. We need to change the paradigm of our existence. We need to change the reason for our existence. We need to change the shape of our existence. We need to change the way of our existence. We need to change the influences of our existence. We need to change the reason 
for our existence. And we need to know why. We need to be convinced of these changes because if we're not convinced, we can talk and talk and talk, but internally we'll still be doing exactly the same things. We can talk about salvation and then we chase whatever our desire wants down the street with the constant admonition, I'll take care of it later. I'll take care of reality later. I'll take care of the truth later. I'll take care of my obligation to God later. I'll do what I have to do later. Right now, I just have to relieve myself of this need. I have to do away with this pain. I have to do away with whatever it is that's bothering me so much that I can't function without relieving it. You know, there in, in, in some religions, there's a prayer to thank God for being able to go to the bathroom. Because that's a relief that you really need. Without that relief, it would be a big problem. But the other reliefs that we need are mostly self-inflicted situations. They're mostly impositions that we have put upon ourselves through our life, and those impositions have become our reasons for existence. And these impositions are put upon us by our parents, by our teachers, by our friends, and these impositions become reality. And we have to relieve these impositions in order to go on. Ask yourself, when Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, put on his armor to go fight the Meccans, what was the center of his thought at that time? What was actually the center of his existence at that time? What was his point of view at that time? Where was his faith at that time? What were his expectations <clears throat> as to outcomes at that time? Did he have anxiety about the outcomes at that time? Was his life based on whether he was going to win or lose that battle at that time? Where was he centered at that time? Well, what happens to us when we're in a state of difficulty? Where are we centered at that time? Do we give so much credence to that difficulty that all of a sudden we act as if our life depended on the outcome of this anxiety-producing situation? Or have we been able to somehow alleviate ourselves of the imposition of the worldly problems that are set upon us? Or is it like being unable to go to the bathroom? We can't do anything until we let go. Somehow, we have to let go. This world is a big bowel movement. And once we begin to understand that, this has to be applied to all of our difficulties, all of our situations, 
all of our inclinations, they all have to be let go. Otherwise, they rise and build up inside of us to the point where they constipate us, where our mind can't think because of this. Our entire being becomes constipated with the world. And that happens because we intend to swallow it. And as you swallow the world, you get more and more filled up with it and you have to spend all your time trying to bring it out of yourself. We have to stop swallowing. We have to stop real we have to start realizing what we are actually in need of. And we have to see that in front of us all the time. Remove the world, replace it with Allah. Remove the world, replace it with Allah. Remove our needs, replace them with gratitude. Remove our desires, replace them with love. There is this constant taking away the things of the world and replacing them with the things of Allah. The qualities have to constantly replace the illusion. The qualities of Allah have to constantly replace the illusory nature of existence in us. And we have to make room for it. We can't be full of the world and expect simultaneously to be full of God. We have to choose between one or the other. We're told that we are given free will, and we are. We have one choice to make. Choose the world or choose Allah. Everything else flows from that choice. Every other choice is a function of that choice. So each of us has to ask Allah, please, Allah, help us choose you. Please, Allah, show us the way towards you. Your grandeur is so extraordinary that the blinding light that comes from it over outshines anything we can imagine. Give us a glimpse so that we know the reality of it. Give us a glimpse so that we know the truth that is as opposed to what we call the truth that isn't. Show us the way. Show us the truth. Take us on the straight path towards you. Amin. Amin. Ya Rabbil Alameen. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Razin.